Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us again as we continue our investigation of the Christian gospel, Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We wonder if you've ever stopped to ask yourself some of the most basic questions, like what is the Christian gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the saving gospel or good news? What did he mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the kingdom of God? We're suggesting that the gospel of the kingdom, which is Jesus' favorite phrase, indeed the phrase which describes and encapsulates his whole mission and ministry, that phrase, we suggest, has disappeared from the lips of Christians in contemporary times. The kingdom gospel summarizes the entirety of the mission and ministry of Jesus in first century Palestine. The kingdom of God is the phrase that we might call the watchword of Jesus. The Christian faith is concentrated in that master phrase of Jesus, the kingdom of God. It's his watchword, his slogan. It's the phrase which sums up the entirety of his work, the totality of his activity as a preacher of the gospel. It would be reasonable to suppose that the kingdom of God phrase would have the same status in Christian conversation today. We would expect the term gospel of the kingdom to be everywhere offered to the public as the stimulus for study, as an invitation to conversion, as a summary indeed of the very teaching of Jesus, the heart of his whole message. But we don't hear that phrase kingdom of God today, much less gospel about the kingdom of God. And yet we suggest that the gospel about the kingdom of God is the root text on which all gospel texts are built. Every gospel reference in the New Testament goes back ultimately to the definition of the gospel provided by Jesus himself. And Jesus himself, of course, was the originator of the gospel message. It was he who announced the gospel of the kingdom, beginning in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, where, as we read, he came into Galilee, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel gospel that is about the kingdom. Now we maintain that there is a very definite system of teaching found in the New Testament. All of the preachers and teachers who contributed to the writings of our New Testament held in common a single view of the gospel. They all believed in the gospel as Jesus had preached it and therefore they all believed in the gospel about the kingdom of God. I would ask you to consider the fact that the message of the kingdom is given us in the New Testament as a tool for the creation of immortality. That is the reason that these New Testament writers are so driven. That's why they strain every nerve in their effort to relay to the public the precious words about how to gain immortality in the coming kingdom. There's a definite system, a definite scheme underlying all the diverse writings of the New Testament. They are a united group they all have one object, and it is to convey to their audiences the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God and the name, of course, of Jesus Christ. And those two things are inseparable. Jesus cannot be separated from his kingdom of God gospel. According to Paul in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, and if you have a Bible, please check these verses for yourself. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, the proclamation of Paul is called a model of sound teaching. We find Paul also in Romans 6, verse 17, talking about a model of teaching, 
a definite paradigm of teaching which his converts accepted. The Greek word there is typos, a model or shape or form, and it describes the outline of the teaching of Jesus and of Paul himself. And so there's a fixed form of teaching in the New Testament, and it all goes back, we suggest, to the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Jesus lays out this paradigm or model of teaching in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 11 and following. The seed there in the famous parable of the soils is called the message or gospel about the kingdom in that parable of the sower. Actually, it's the parable about the progress of the gospel of the kingdom. It's the illustration by way of a farming analogy of how the message of the kingdom takes root in the hearts of different potential converts. Jesus said this, To you disciples it is given to have the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. When someone hears the message about the kingdom, we read in Matthew 13:19, and fails to understand it, the devil comes and snatches away what is sown in his mind. And Jesus goes on to say this, As for the one who is sown on good soil, that's the man who hears the message about the kingdom and understands it and bears fruit. Now Luke's report of Jesus' amazing teaching here makes the reception of this message about the kingdom the absolute essential for beginning on the process that leads to salvation. The kingdom is the object of faith and it's the means of salvation. Listen to these words in Luke 8, verses 11 and 12. This is Luke's report of the same parable of the sower. Jesus said this, The seed is the message of God. And we saw that in the parallel version it was the message about the kingdom of God. So those are the same things. The message of God or gospel of God is exactly the same as the message about the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said, Those on the road are the people who hear the message of the kingdom, that is, but then the devil comes and carries away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe it and be saved. So that's a brilliant intelligence report on the part of the Messiah. He realized where the devil was active and it was precisely the devil's purpose to interrupt and to jam and to confuse the precious preaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Now, those who receive the message of the kingdom are called in Matthew 13, verse 38, the sons of the kingdom. We might interpret that as the royal family in training for rulership in the coming kingdom. And here I'd like to quote to you from Eric Sauer, his book From Eternity to Eternity, page 93. He says, The church is the official administrative staff, the ruling aristocracy, of the coming kingdom. That's precisely the New Testament point of view. And so Jesus spoke of the sons of the kingdom, the royal family in training, we might say, those in training for rulership in the coming kingdom of God on the earth. And the devil sows his ideas and produces weeds, darnel, in fact, which looks very much like true wheat. You'll find that in Jesus' companion parable about the wheat and the tares. The devil is busy sowing his ideas, apparently, according to Jesus. But a Christian is one who is discipled and instructed in the kingdom of God, Matthew 13:52. And so to love the kingdom 
To be interested in the kingdom of God is a synonym for being a Christian believer, a follower of Jesus. Now, Jesus obviously believed that certain information had to take root in the heart of an individual for the salvation process to get underway. Now, that information is the knowledge of the message of the kingdom of God. Here we have it in Jesus' own words. To you, he said, in Matthew 13, 11, it has been given to understand the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but it's not granted to those others. And so, as George Ladd points out in his book on the theology of the New Testament, society for Jesus is divided into two antithetical camps, those who receive and understand and embrace the gospel of the kingdom and those who either do not know about it or reject it. These are two camps. You're either in or out. And the criterion for being in is the acceptance of Jesus' gospel message about the kingdom of God. Now, the crucial importance of the acceptance of this message of the gospel of the kingdom is echoed in the apostles' teaching also. Peter, who was chosen as the rock apostle, describes the same process for salvation. Christians, he said, are born again, not from corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, through the message of the living God, which remains forever. 1 Peter 1, verses 23 to 25. And he goes on to explain by saying that this is the word which was preached to you as the gospel. 1 Peter 1, verse 25. Now that gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, of course. That was the gospel preached to all the converts. And we have strong parallels here in the words of Peter with the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke of the seed being the word of the kingdom. Peter speaks of the incorruptible seed which was preached in the gospel. And the gospel, of course, is called the gospel of the kingdom. In Luke 4, verse 43, Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, and again in Matthew 24, verse 14. And may I add a couple of verses from the book of Acts, which echo again the same insistence upon the kingdom of God gospel. Acts 19, verse 8, and Acts 28, verses 23 and 31. If you'll survey those texts, you'll find that there's a golden thread running through the New Testament in regard to this saving message of the kingdom. And so I submit that the germ of immortality is to be transmitted to the believer by this one process, the incorruptible seed of the message of the kingdom. Now, Satan knows this, and he tries to remove that seed or corrupt it so that it will not be able to develop into the flowering seed of immortality and deliver a candidate for immortality in the kingdom of God. Now, there's no other message in the Bible than the message of the kingdom which Jesus and the apostles preached. Only that message can possibly transmit the seed of immortality. That's what Jesus was teaching in the famous parable of the sower, or soils. Now, having been sown, this seed of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, must be cultivated so that it can bear fruit. This being true, the early church proclaimed the kingdom and made sure it had been grasped before they baptized the convert. We find this process outlined for us in a very precious creedal statement, a sort of early creedal statement, you might say, in Acts 8, verse 12. We read this, When they believed Philip, as he was proclaiming the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God, 
and the name of Jesus, that's to say everything that Jesus stands for, they were getting baptized, both men and women. And so it was upon an intelligent reception of what is called here the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel about the kingdom, and the name of Jesus Christ, that candidates for baptism were accepted into the church. Now, the Bible teaching has a definite mold or shape about it. I would call it a messianic, apocalyptic shape. Unfortunately, there's another Greek philosophical mold through which the teachings of Jesus were run in the second century. No wonder, then, that the faith came out bearing a different shape. Now, what we're trying to say in these programs is that we've inherited a great deal from that Greek philosophical mold, and that Greek philosophical mold has in some cases replaced the original apocalyptic messianic mold of the faith presented in the New Testament documents. Now, people today are often shocked when you give them the biblically shaped faith. They say, I'm not used to that. That sounds strange. And this may be because they've been so heavily influenced by the platonic and Hellenized form of Christianity which emerged from the second century onwards. Today people promote the presence of the kingdom. And then they promote also a destiny which has to do with, with departing as a disembodied soul to heaven at death. But Jesus did not teach these things and would have rejected them as counterfeits, as foreign to the Hebrew system which he supported. That's all we have time for for today. We invite you to continue with us in our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel of the kingdom of God.